morning. Good morning. Oh, it is such a joy for me to have the privilege of uh, being with you. I want to bring you greetings from 10,500 Nazarenes that are scattered over a 12-county area that uh, Denise and I have the privilege of traveling to a different church every single week. And uh, I just want to tell you, there is one church that's more important than any other church this week on the uh, Chicago Central District, and that is for us, Joliet First Church, because uh, this is where we're at today, and I have so looked forward to this time together. I want to give you like an overview of uh, our district, just so you will kind of, um, uh, let's see, it's on here. Oh, there we go. Um, what I want to do is I want to I want to introduce for you who uh, who I have not had the privilege of meeting. We we actually have twelve counties that comprise the Chicago Central District of with of which this church is one of really our flagship uh, pioneering churches uh, that is pioneering some um, uh, a, a disciple making process that we'll be talking a little bit more about today, but. Uh, you and I woke up uh, in one of the most unchurched areas of the United States. Uh, this morning, as uh, you got together and you came to this wonderful place to worship, there are five million people in the greater Chicago area that woke up today that will not practice faith in any church. Almost 80% of the population now is not going, they're irreligious, Many of them are unsaved. Many of them have some kind of church background or some kind of church experience in the past. But there's 5 million people in this 12-county area that goes from Danville in, uh, Danville in the south to the Wisconsin border. And uh, here is another thing that, that makes this area unique, and this particular church is experiencing this. Um, there are, out of this 8.7 million people that live in these 12 counties, 5.7 of them, uh, million, self-identify as speaking English. Uh, 1.445 million self-identify as speaking Spanish. And there are 103 other languages that are spoken in the Chicago uh, school district. 105 languages are spoken in these 12 counties. The world is moving to the Chicago area. They're moving from all over the world. Uh, if, you, uh, if you know anything about the, about the economic changes or transitioning that's happening in this 12-county area and in the state of Illinois, there are people that are moving out of Chicago. But you know what? There are literally tens of thousands of people that are moving into Chicago. And guess who's moving in? Many of them do not speak English. And they're moving in, they're learning English, but they're moving in from all over the world. Um, the uh, fascinating thing, as of the most current statistics, 1,572,000 people do not speak English and do not speak Spanish. They speak something else. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. We currently have 67 churches and missions, and so twice a year we encourage every single Nazarene to get together, and our next big day is what we call Cultivate 2016, 
And it is designed for you. It's designed to help resource you to grow as a Christian. We'll have, we'll have probably 600 people from all of our churches that will gather on the campus of Olivet Nazarene University. And we'd love to have you put that on your calendar for November the 12th. So let me talk with you about the seven mission areas. We're going to talk specifically about this one today. Uh, the seven mission areas that we have, there are 12 churches that are located in this south-southwest mission area, uh, which is one of our seven mission areas. And uh, this mission area here has four counties. Cook County, that is not part of Chicago. And then it has Kendall County, it has Grundy County, it has Will County. This whole metropolitan area, this church is smack dab in the middle of those four counties, which is why what you do is so critical. It's not just about you. It is about the place where God has strategically planted this church. Denise and I, when we drove in today, I, I, I told Pastor Brad this. When I drove past this church and I drove into the parking lot, I just my mind just starts to dream every time I, I drive onto this property because I think, you know what? This church could become the regional center of Christianity because of its strategic location here. There's 148,000 people who live in Joliet. And, uh, and uh, so let me introduce you to the reality that, uh, that this morning, 118,000 of them plus did not uh, decide they were going to go to church. So, you know, now if I was a business, my goodness, we got all kinds of market share potential here. There's all kinds of people. And here's the, here's the, this church is so fabulous. You know, the biggest challenge we face is that people don't know we're here. And I'm so thrilled that your church is deciding that you're going to go out into the community. Anybody ever seen the movie Sister Act a long time ago? I wish I had the, you know, uh, hey, we got to get people in the seats here, you know. And uh, so what she does is she starts getting the church outside of the walls and starts beginning to bring people in. And I'm so, I can't tell you how excited that I am about the ministry of this church. When I came here last year, a couple years ago, and uh, Pastor Day had, uh, had just uh, uh, retired, the church was in that, anybody remember those days? Yeah, vaguely. You know, and the church had, was, they were in this anxiety mode Man, you know, and then everybody says, you know, man, it'd be really wonderful if we could get a young pastor that could bring a bunch of new people into the church. Well, I just want to tell you, we've already started doing that. And uh, and uh, my, uh, I, I, I do want to tell you that that my job is to is to basically uh, keep a fire lit under all of our pastors so that they will make everybody in the church feel uncomfortable pretty much all of the time. So um, uh, it, th that's my fault, okay? People have asked me, well, now, wh what, what, what does a district superintendent do to refocus a congregation so that it actually begins to grow the way that Jesus has designed for churches to grow? Ultimately, the job of a, of a, of a district superintendent and a, and, a, and a refocusing pastor is to make everybody in the church, feel this moderate level of discomfort all of the time. 
but not so bad that you vote us out. <laughs> and, uh, and so what I want to talk about today is this, uh, is how God wants to keep refocusing and keep changing the, the um, gaze of a church to where it actually becomes everything that Jesus wants it to become. So does everybody have an outline today? Would you please pull that out? Because what we want to talk about today in our time together is uh, something that's really close and dear to my heart. I have been looking, in fact, I really loved the opportunity of, of, uh, of going uh, uh, to uh, uh, Sunday school today. And uh, it was just a wonderful, wonderful um, opportunity to uh, not only be with uh, Ron, um, but to be with everybody that was in the class. And their theme today uh, in Sunday school is the same theme that we're going to talk about today, and that is holiness and entire sanctification, which is a cardinal doctrine of the church. And we're going to be looking at the book of James. And this morning's teaching, we want to take a look at what James says about Christian perfection and about spiritual maturity, how a Christ-like disciple of Jesus thinks, how a Christ-like disciple of Jesus acts. And, and the dialogue that started on our district, I've been so excited about because behind the scenes, we have begun to talk about how can we retool and make more effective all three organizations that we have in every church. Because in every church, we have a, a ministry that focuses on youth. We have a ministry that focuses on missions. We have a ministry that focuses on education and disciple-making. And we want to move our thinking past a program focus to a disciple-making focus. And we want to help churches build a process that is clear in everyone's mind of how they can spiritually move from here to here in becoming a disciple-maker for Jesus. And our dream is that every church will build a process. And this will begin to shape how every single person thinks. And so, let me just take us back uh, to what is the mission of the Church of the Nazarene. We have 2.5 million members now in 30,000 churches. And every one of those 30,000 churches is connected to an international organization that has this mission statement. It's seven words. Would you read these with me out loud? Let's read the words out loud together. To make Christ-like disciples in the nations. I want to focus today on just those two words, Christ-like disciples. Christ-like disciples. Helping every person move to spiritual maturity. Now, we're field testing a process on our district where, where we, we pray that every single Christian will understand what a Christ-like disciple looks like. Because if you understand what it looks like, you can move toward it. And that's what we desire. And so, um, uh, one of the things that really is exciting me as I have the privilege of working with with um, Pastor Brad and, and work with this church, this church is on the cutting edge of actually helping us to change the way we report what we do. We'll be talking more about that a little bit later, 
But today I want to take a look at the subject, what does it mean to be a Christ-like disciple? What does it mean to be spiritually mature? And so if you have your Bible, I just would invite your attention to the book of James. I love the book of James, and we're going to be looking at the book of James. I know that a few of you have maybe heard this message whenever we had the Holiness uh, uh, Summit. I preach this message to me every single month, and I want to tell you, if you've heard it once, it probably will not sink in until you hear it about ten times, because I've been speaking it, and it still is getting into my spirit. And so, let me just share with you, if you have the outline, I want you to follow along an overview of the book of James. We're going to look at every one of these chapters. And let's begin by simply reading the first four verses uh, because he sets the whole context of the book together. Would you read this with me out loud? Let's read it together. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The theme for today, what does it mean to be spiritually mature? Let's pray. Father, make this for me not just another Sunday morning message to teach, For us who have gathered to listen to your word and to be changed by it, not just another Sunday morning sermon to listen to. We read here in James chapter 1 that we do not want to be the kind of people that simply look at ourselves in the mirror, but then walk away and forget what we look like. But we pray that you'd help us to practice the book of James today. Help us to really delve in and begin to move as an entire body of people, all 10,000 Nazarenes across these 12 counties, we would all move towards spiritual maturity so that we would not only look at the Bible, but we would live the Bible out in our lives. Help us to be the kind of people that are doers of the Word and help every person here, wherever they're at today, May your Holy Spirit speak to them so that they will know how to respond by taking the next step spiritually for them. And Lord, if everyone does this, the entire church will become a church moving forward toward spiritual maturity. For that achievement that only you can bring about, we want to say thank you in advance. And all of God's people said... Amen. So, spiritual maturity. The big question that many people have is, is, well, Dr. McCain, okay, I I, I, want to grow. I want to be spiritually mature, but how? How can I do this? You know, one of the things that I I was totally committed to when I began this this spiritual journey of a district superintendent, I, I promised myself that I would never tell people what they should do without also showing them how. Isn't it frustrating to have 
to have somebody tell you, like if you have a boss that says, you need to do this, 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 and you walk away, you think, okay, he wants me to do this, but he hasn't shown me or she hasn't shown me how to do it. It's really frustrating. So I think one of the things that's really important in, at the district level and in our local churches is that we also, not only do we challenge people with what they should do, but we have to show them how to do it. So today we want to take a look at how can people become spiritually mature. And so uh, let's take a look at the book of James because the key word of the book of James is maturity. In fact, maturity, God wants every Christian to be spiritually mature. This is a fundamental teaching that Jesus had. It's a fundamental teaching of the New Testament. God does not want people to be spiritually immature. He wants and expects every single Christian to grow up, every single Christian to be spiritually mature. So the question is, how do we get there? So the Greek word in the book of James that we see over and over again is this word teleos. It is used five different times here in James. And it means to be complete. It means to be perfect for the task. It means to be spiritually mature. Now, let me just share with you that uh, I was given, uh, Chris uh, made sure that I got this this morning. This is a clicker. Now, I can tell you, I mean, this is a, uh, uh, this, this has a, uh, it has a flaw in it right here. Chris, you know, it, it looks like it's, you know, the cover has been scratched a little bit right here. And there, there's a hole in it right there. And, uh, you know, um, and it's got some dust on it. So this is, if you were really, depending on what you, I mean, this, you, you, could, you can find imperfections in this clicker, right? But here's the, here, here, here is the good news. This clicker is perfect for the task to which it is intended. Does that make sense? Now, the wonderful thing is this clicker works. And the amazing thing about spiritual maturity, people say, well, I could never, I could never be perfect. You know, the Church of the Nazarene talks about Christian perfection. What does it mean to be Christian, Christian perfect? Because I could never, well, here's the thing. God's desire for your Christian perfection is maturity for the intent for which you were created. Perfect for the task is what God is interested in. And you know, you can fulfill the purpose for which God put you on this planet. Every person, he has a purpose. And every person can become mature and complete for the task that God has given for them on this planet. And the Bible says that every person has a task in the church. The thing that I love about a church like this, you know, this church is fuller than the last time that I, that I was here. Have you, have you all noticed this? The Lord is bringing more people to begin to attend the church. And here's the great news. The great news is that every single person who attends... The Lord has a specific purpose for you. Every person has a role to play. Every person has a task to fulfill. And 
Even though you're not perfect, God has a way for you to fit within this great local church. So so let me just share with you that uh, when we look at maturity, I think the first thing we also have to ask ourselves to clarify, well, what maturity is not? Let me just share a few things. First of all, maturity, Christian maturity, is not a matter of age. It's not how long you've lived. It's not how long you've been a Christian. Would you believe that everybody that grows old in the Lord doesn't grow up in the Lord? Now, ideally, the older we get, the more mature we become. That's the ideal. But there are, now I know this isn't true in this church. Let me tell you some of the other churches I'm working with. Sometimes Christians don't grow in proportion to their age. I've known some people who are 50 or 60 or 70 years old who act spiritually immature at times. And I have known some people in their 20s and 30s that are acting like spiritual giants. I also have met some people in their 20s and 30s that are really immature. And I've met some people in their 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s that are giants. It has nothing to do with your age. Y'all, y'all understand that? Secondly, spiritual maturity is not a matter of appearance. Have you noticed how the church has changed, the way people dress? Have you noticed that the people out in the culture, they're, 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 they're dressing differently than they did 40 years, 30 years ago? Y'all notice that? It's not how you look. You know, there's some people tend to look more conservative, more spiritual. Um, you know, they wear a blue suit, they wear a white shirt, they wear a conservative tie, they got short hair, you know, they're really clean cut. The Bible teaches, though, that our looks don't have anything to do with our spiritual maturity. If we brought some of the prophets back into this church today, there would be a strong temptation to kick them out because... John the Baptist actually wore a leather girdle and he had a camel's hair deal and he had long hair and he said, repent! Um, And that was his message. And he actually had locusts and wild honey uh, that he ate for lunch. So just because of somebody's looks, I mean, we have one church on Thursday night, we have several other churches that are attracting people with all kinds of different uh, looks doesn't have a thing to do with our spiritual maturity. Thirdly, spiritual maturity is not a matter of our achievement. It's not how much you've accomplished. Do you know that you don't have to be spiritually mature to make a lot of money? Anybody know somebody who's really well off that hasn't learned how to be mature? It's not a matter of achievement. And then fourthly, spiritual maturity is not a matter of academics. It's not how much you know. It's not your education. Do you know that walking off of the stage with your high school diploma or a diploma from a Christian college doesn't make you spiritually mature? You can become a professional Bible student. You can know all kinds of theological knowledge and still be spiritually immature. Why? Because the Bible says that spiritual maturity is not a matter of age. It's not a matter of appearance. It's not a matter of achievements. And it's not a matter of academics. God says that spiritual maturity 
is a matter of attitude. It's a matter of my attitude. It's not how long I've lived or how I look or what I've accomplished or what I know. Spiritual maturity is based upon how I'm responding to God in my heart. And so this morning, I want us to take a look at five marks of spiritual maturity that James lays out in the Bible. And we want to compare ourselves to where James says we should be at as we move towards spiritual maturity. I'm working on some of these, and I want to tell you that when I'm preaching this, guess who I'm preaching to do? I'm not just preaching to you. Guess who I preach to every time? preach to me. And so, let's take a look at what the scripture has to say related to this. The first mark, James says, is a person who's positive under pressure. Positive under pressure. First thing he says, how do I react to problems? That's the question. He says, consider pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So how do we move towards spiritual maturity? We have to have trials. Anybody identify with that? Trials actually is God's, one of God's ways to mature us. Persevering under trial. Now, when the first problem comes along, if I have a negative, grumpy, gripey, I know that you folk don't have anybody in your church like this, so let me just talk about the other churches that we have. <clears throat> negative, grumpy, gripey attitudes. The Bible says that's a sign that Larry needs some work in maturity. Now, why do you think James mentions this as the first mark? Because Christianity is a way of life. It's not just a religion. Christianity is to help the way we live get better. Life is tough. There's no such thing as a problem-free life. So I need to ask myself regularly, what is my attitude when I am called to handle problems? Look at James chapter 1 and verse 12. It says, Blessed is the person who perseveres under trial, because when they've stood the test, they will receive the crown of life. We must persevere under trial. And when we persevere under trial, in fact, I know that when you think of trials, every church has these people. When you think of trials and you think of individuals who have gone through very great difficulty, you can see Jesus begin to shine through them. And you see Jesus shine through them because they have persevered and they are demonstrating how to be positive under great pressure. That's the first mark of spiritual maturity. Positive under pressure. Let's take a look at the second mark. Second mark, James says, is found in chapter 2. You have your Bible, just flip over to chapter 2. It says, James, James says a mature person, number two, is sensitive to other people. Sensitive to their hurts, sensitive to their needs, understanding people's feelings. So the second test, the second question we have to ask ourselves is, how do I treat other people? How do I treat other people? Now look in, verse, uh, look in James chapter 1 and 
and, and, and this is what you're going to find here. How do I treat other people? James, James says in verses 1 through 3, he says, don't show favoritism. He says uh, in, in, in James chapter 2 and verse 8, he says, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And then look at, look at verses 1 through 3. He says, don't show favoritism. Don't be a snob. Don't look down. In verse 4, look at this. He says, don't judge other people. In verse 6, he says, don't insult other people. He says, don't exploit other people. And then he says in verse 8, he, he summarizes it all and he says, how I treat other people, the second mark, is marked by me living a life of love. How we treat other people is fundamental and foundational to maturity. Because immature people are insensitive to other people. If you're spiritually immature, you know what? All you're thinking about is who? Yourself. Me, myself. I don't care about your needs. All I care about is mine. And the Bible says, I can do all kinds of great things, but if I don't have love for other people, being sensitive to other people, I'm just a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. In fact, Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew 25, the Bible says on the final day of judgment, we, when we stand before God, the one thing we're going to be judged as Christians for is how we treated other people. So the second mark, is are we, the first mark is we're positive under pressure. The second mark, are we being sensitive to other people? Now look at the third mark. The third mark of spiritual maturity, take a deep breath. <laughs> this one always gets close to home. The third mark is have we mastered our mouth? Have we been able to always control what we say? Look at what the Bible says here. It says, we all stumble in many ways. Anybody testify to the fact that that's true? We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what they say, they're a perfect person, mature person, able to keep their whole body in check. James says that a mature person has learned to master their mouth. Now, let me just share with you that James says, if the Holy Spirit is active in my life and I am controlling my tongue, I am moving in the right direction. You know, my father-in-law uh, worked in World War II in the shipyards uh, in California. And uh, I never forget about 15 years ago, we were talking about that. And he, he uh, shared with me um, that all around the shipyard, was a four-word sign over and over again. It was plastered everywhere. Loose lips sink ships. Loose lips sink ships. You know what? Loose lips will also sink your spiritual life. A lot of people have been deeply hurt simply by what somebody else has said. I wish I could tell you that, you know... Out in the world, that this only happens in the marketplace. This only happens on the job. This only happens in your neighborhood. This only happens in schools. But you know what? This also happens in churches. Proverbs 18 and verse 21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death. The way we talk to people can either build them up or tear them down. Now, it's fascinating here in James 
chapter 3, verses 3 through 11, he gets real specific, and he uses six different illustrations regarding our tongue. Let me just look at a couple of them with you. First, he says the tongue is kind of like a bit in the horse in the, in the horse's mouth. It's, it can, it can, a little bit can control a giant horse in the way it goes. And in the same way, James says your tongue has the power to control your life. James says the tongue also is like a, a little rudder on the back of a huge boat. It can control the direction of an entire ship. And likewise, he says our tongue influences the way we talk. It influences the entire direction of our lives. James is trying to help us develop spiritual maturity. You ever heard somebody say this? Well, I just say what's on my mind, whether it's appropriate or not. I just am the kind of person that speaks what I think. Now, folks, I want to tell you many times that's not frankness. That's just immaturity. I have had a lot of things pass through my mind that were not worth saying. Anybody else had that happen in your life? <laughs> There's an awful lot of things we think that we should never say. And what we need to do is develop spiritual maturity to know what we should say. In fact, um, Ron used this uh, in the Sunday school class this morning. This is a powerful, it came, it came out of the lesson uh, this morning from Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, this is a powerful verse. Would you read this with me out loud? Let's read this out loud together. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. You know, the scripture, the scripture talks about this. It says we should demonstrate spiritual maturity by building people up. And, uh, and James says, immature people are critical people. People who are spiritual mature are able to overlook a fault. They're able to overlook offenses. You know, the, the Bible says in Proverbs, it is a wise person, it is a mature person that's able to overlook whenever someone slights them or because they're giving people the benefit of the doubt. They're praying for people. They're encouraging people. You know, the Bible says, okay, just uh, picture somebody that's hard for you to get along. Anybody have anybody in your life that it's hard to get along with? Okay? Can I just uh, share with you, everybody, God puts those people in our lives, I think, for a purpose. You know what the scripture says? If your enemy is hungry, what are you supposed to do? If they're thirsty, what are you supposed to do? Give them something to drink. You are supposed to be so nice to the person that they scratch their heads and they know they're being really, really horrible toward you, but you are not overcome by evil, but you overcome evil with, with good. Did you know that Abraham Lincoln was one of the greatest leaders that this country ever had? And if you ever get the chance to go to Springfield and go through the Lincoln Library and see all of the ways in which people treated him during the campaign of 1860, which he won, quite frankly, by about 38% of the vote, <laughs> 42% of the vote, um, because there were four candidates. Everybody knew that the country was going to split. When Abraham Lincoln got into office, do you know he, who he pulled together and who he put on his team, his leadership cabinet? Guess who he picked? 
He picked all of the highly gifted, influential leaders in Washington who hated him. He took them all, and he brought them really, really close. And he treated them with kindness. He saw potential in them. And uh, that's really hard to do. But the Bible actually is the standard for that because what, what, uh, the Apostle, uh, what, uh, what Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 21, he says, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, look at this verse. Would you read this with me out loud? This is from the book of James as well. Let's read it together. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue... He deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. That's pretty powerful stuff. A spiritually mature person has learned how to manage their mouth. It doesn't matter how long we've been a Christian, how many Bible verses we can quote, how many Bible studies we've been to, or what, we, what points of doctrine we can explain. Spiritual maturity is demonstrated by some very different things than the average American church expects it. So far, these are the three things. I can tell that I'm moving towards spiritual maturity because, number one, how do I handle my problems? Number two, how do I relate to other people? And number three, how am I doing it managing my mouth? Spiritual maturity is re it's really about changing people's lives. It's not just about increasing people's knowledge. You see, would you read this with me out loud? Let's read this, this statement out loud together. The Bible was not given just to increase our knowledge. It was given to change the way we personally live. If you don't remember anything else I say today, please remember this. The purpose of the Bible is to help us change how we think and how we act and how we live day to day. Now look at the fourth mark of spiritual maturity. Fourth mark of spiritual maturity is being a peacemaker in the midst of trouble. Am I a peacemaker when I'm confronted with trouble and difficulty? Am I the kind of person that lays conflict to rest? Or am I the kind of person that stirs up conflict where I go? Do I like to argue? Do I like to gossip? Do I like to get in on the news of what's happening in people's relationships and the neighborhood, the office, the church, the school, on, in my extended family? How do I deal with trouble at home and in the church and on the job and in the neighborhood and at school? Look what the Bible says. What causes fights and quarrels? Don't they come from desires that battle within us? We want something, but we don't get it. Now look at 1 Corinthians. Paul deals with these same issues in the Corinthian church. And he says, brothers, I couldn't address you as spiritual. He says, there are some churches that we have, Paul says, where people are worldly. They're mere infants because jealousy and quarreling happens. People are acting like people. Now here's the fascinating thing. Here, the standard is different than out of the world. Because people act like people out in the world. 
And the Apostle Paul says, when you come here, you're actually going to be challenged to live at a different standard. And here's the good news. Everything that's necessary for you to be able to live like this is available in this room this morning. And it's available to everybody here. And I need a church that when I come to it will not just make me feel good. I need a church that when I come here, it will challenge me to be good. That's the kind of church we want to build. We want to build a church that challenges people to keep spiritually maturing so that they become perfectly intended for the purpose for which God has designed them. Not just like the people out in the world. One of the biggest challenges, Pastor Brad, that that I face as a superintendent many times as I read about churches that are acquiescing to the culture and they're not challenging their people to live at a different standard than the world. And as a result, people in churches aren't behaving any different than people out in the world. And that's not the way it ought to be. The church ought to set a different standard, which has been the historical uh, commitment of the Church of the Nazarene since we began. We were supposed to be a people that were different than the world. And we do that in the way that we behave. And Paul talks about, or James talks about the conflict comes when we don't, we want something, we don't get it. And uh, Paul goes on to say in chapter 4 and verse 3, or, I mean James, in chapter 4 and verse 3, James says, conflict comes when we ask and we don't receive because we're spending it on, on our own, on, our, uh, uh, on uh, ourselves. And then, and then the second source of conflict that he mentions here is he, he mentioned this, this whole idea of judging other people. And the reason why we cannot judge other people is because the moment I start judging other people, whether it's their actions, their motives, their thoughts, I start playing God. Now, there's three reasons why I can never judge somebody else in the church. These three reasons. Number one, it's God's job to judge. It's not mine to judge. Number two, I don't have all the facts about that person. And number three, I don't know their motives. They could be be behaving in a certain way, and they could be having some struggle in their life that I'm totally oblivious of. I don't know what their inner motives are. Only God does. And so what God is saying here is that living above judgmentalism is a mark of maturity. Not being judgmental, not being prideful, not being selfish, being a peacemaker in the midst of conflict are all signs of spiritual maturity. Let's look look at chapter 5. James says the last mark of a mature person is they are patient and prayerful about life. How long can I wait? You know, what's fascinating is uh, um, James in chapter 5 and verse 7, he says, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. In this chapter, patient is used four times, prayer is used seven times. James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, here's what I've learned in my own journey. The more I pray, the more patient I become. Prayer is a way of slowing me down. 
prayer has a way of making me be less impulsive. Most of the problems, most of the difficulties, most of the challenges are created because of I'm impulsive instead of praying and waiting for God. It's fascinating to see how God um, uses different illustrations. I grew up in Iowa, and I was surrounded by farmland. So I want to tell you, James 5 says, See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? Be patient and stand firm. So here are the five marks. Positive under pressure, sensitive to other people, managing our mouth, being a peacemaker in the midst of troubles, being patient and prayerful about life. Let's bow our heads for prayer. We prepare for communion. So uh, this morning as we, uh, as we prepare for the Lord's table, I just want you to do a little bit of personal evaluation. You know, John Wesley said that communion and the Lord's Supper was actually a time of invitation. People could actually rededicate their lives to God at the table. So we celebrate the Lord's Supper as an opportunity for us to respond to what God is saying to us. So as you reflect today and prepare your life for communion, what's the next step spiritually that Jesus wants you to take as you receive him this morning? Ask yourself, am I positive under pressure? Or do I grumble and complain and nag and gripe and criticize? What's the step Jesus wants me to take there? Am I sensitive to the needs of other people? How do I treat other people? Have I mastered my mouth? Am I a peacemaker in the midst of trouble? Am I the person that carries around a bucket of gas or do I carry around a bucket of water? Do I put conflict out or do I stir it up? And am I patient and prayerful about life? Lord, I pray for myself today more than I pray for these precious people that are part of this great church. I just want to thank you for what you're doing inside of, inside of Larry. So, Lord, I pray that you'll prepare my heart for communion today, communion with you. I pray that you help me to keep growing, keep changing, help me to keep maturing so that I actually not just look at your word, but I put it into my life. Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for all of these precious people in this great church. In Jesus' name.